0: Okay, so I'm going to give you all a little lesson this morning, and you guys will be the experts at church who can teach everybody else how to say our last name. (laughs) So the first part is ver, it's like animal fur, but with a V, ver, and the second part is straight, like straight, not crooked, ver, straight. There you guys go. (laughs) Don't listen to anybody from the old high school group, they all call this the Roobsratis, and everybody... Kind of got stuck as our nickname. (laughs) It's really good to be with you guys this morning. I haven't been able to be here for the last couple of years. Um, Some of you know that my health had been declining pretty rapidly. I had to take a break from ministry life and everything else. And uh, I I did uh, start to figure things out and start to recover my health. But it did take a global pandemic to get Sharon Verstray to slow down and rest. (laughs) So um, sorry to all of you for that. But um, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that in our time this morning. But uh, for now, just let me say, I did finally figure it out. I am starting to feel better. I am starting to uh, figure out all the issues. So that's great. It's been an interesting trial, one I'm still learning from. Our topic this morning is gentleness and Talking on this topic both excites me and terrifies me. It excites me because it's one of those, like, fundamental core elements of being a believer that, like, affects everything else in life. And um, so we really get to think deeply this morning, and we get to find a lot of really rich application from it at the same time. So that really excites me. But it also terrifies me because I do take seriously the charge to study the word for myself and apply it to my own life before I turn around and teach it to others. And I have to say it was way too easy to find areas in my life where um, I do not respond in gentleness and um, I have a lot to grow myself in this area and I'm nowhere near where I wanna be. On the other hand, I can look back over the years and say I've seen where God's grown me in this area too. And in fact, because gentleness is one of those big like fundamental core issues, I feel like that's going to be true our whole lives. Like it's something that we'll always be growing in and something that we're always going to be falling short in at the same time. So I hope this morning we'll be challenged. I'm pretty sure we will be. Um, But at the same time, I hope we're also encouraged to look at ways that God has produced this in our lives. So let's go ahead and, and pray and get started. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word, how you teach us, um, how you change us, what Christ has done for us, how we can come together as a body of believers and encourage one another. Uh, I pray that I will be clear this morning and to speak your words and um, that I would honor you with what I say and uh, that uh, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what comes to mind when you think of the word gentle? Think of that for a moment. What kind of comes to your mind? Soft spoken. Hmm? And, And that's exactly what we kind of think of, right? We think of a soft spoken voice, maybe a mild manner, a soft touch, maybe. And gentleness is actually a very difficult word to define biblically there isn't a very good English translation for it. The Greek word for it is prautes, and it's one that Bible translators have really actually kind of struggled with. The King James Version uses the word meekness instead of gentleness, but I think in our day and age, we struggle with the word meekness even more than the word gentleness because, like, the picture of a mouse, like, instantly kind of comes to mind, right? We think of weakness or timidity, and that is... So far from what the word, um, biblical word for meekness or gentleness means. One of the ways that the ancient Greeks used this word in its secular use was in describing a colt that had been broken. And I think that this word picture is really useful for us today. Um, think for a moment about what makes a horse gentle. Right? When, we, when we want to tell an inexperienced rider, don't worry, this horse is really gentle. Like, what do we mean by that? we mean that the horse won't react in a sudden and unexpected way, right? If we mistakenly kick too hard or pull on the reins too hard, right? The horse isn't gonna throw us off. The horse is very well trained and it responds to its commands. Its spirit has been brought under control. And it's important to note that does not mean that the horse is weak. It's still very much a powerful animal that could cause great harm to us if it chose to. It could buck or stomp or kick or bite us. But it doesn't spook very easily, and that's mostly because it has learned to obey. So what is the definition of gentleness? Gentleness is an inner attitude of the mind and heart that is completely surrendered to God's will. An inner attitude of the mind and heart that is completely surrendered to God's will. It accepts every circumstance as God's good for us, and it does not argue against or resist anything that he brings our way. This may result in that soft-spoken voice or that mild manner, but those actions are not in themselves biblical gentleness. They're the result of biblical gentleness. We don't raise our voice because our heart is gentle. We don't criticize or react harshly because our heart is gentle. And this is a really important distinction to make, Because if we work on raising our voice, but never address the heart issues that are behind it, we're going to not really make any real progress, right? The real battle starts in the heart and in the mind. Another way to look at the definition of gentleness is to look at its opposites. (coughs) Biblical gentleness is the opposite of revenge or retaliation. It's the opposite of bitterness or resentment. It's the opposite of self-assertiveness. Elizabeth George calls a gentlewoman one who will take it. She goes on to say, she bears with tranquility the disturbances others create. She endures ill treatment. She withstands misunderstandings. Okay, so with a definition in place, we're ready to look at some scriptures. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So you can either turn there in your Bibles or it's written out on your outline there for you. And you can see for point number one that we cannot have gentleness without humility. So let me read Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 for us. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When Paul talks about walking, He's always referring to the way we live our daily lives, and that's definitely going to include the way that we react to our circumstances. I want you to notice that Paul does not give them a list of things that they have to do in order to walk in a worthy manner. He gives them a list of things that they need to be. He tells them to be humble and gentle, patient, tolerant, and unified. And we can see here that humility and gentleness are grouped together in the very first phrase. It takes both humility and gentleness to walk in a manner worthy of our calling because they go hand in hand. John MacArthur describes humility as an absence of self and selfishness. And he goes on to say that gentleness is a byproduct of humility. That means if you have humility, it will naturally lead to gentleness, but without humility, you will never get to gentleness. I think this is an important place to start because if you miss the connection between humility and gentleness, I think you'll find yourself frustrated as you try to cultivate gentleness in your life. It's simply impossible to be gentle when you attempt to assert your own rights or want things to go your own way. It's only the woman who recognizes that she does not deserve any good thing that has been given to her that can respond in gentleness. We came to Christ with nothing and he gave us everything. There's no circumstance in which we can say, I don't deserve to be treated like this. I had a circumstance like that these past few years where I was tempted to say just that. I mentioned the beginning I'm recovering from some serious health issues. Last summer, I discovered that the sites where my wisdom teeth were extracted when I was 18 years old had been infected for more than 30 years. I also had several failed root canal teeth and I was allergic to the mercury in my childhood fillings. 30 years of chronic inflammation had taken a serious toll on my body and eventually my body just began to break down. But it happened so slowly over that time that I didn't realize how sick I'd become. And it wasn't until the infections were removed that I began to realize what feeling healthy was really like. I hadn't felt so strong and energetic and clear-headed since before my kids were born. And though I began physically to feel better, that's when the spiritual battle really began. You <laughs> see, I hadn't been in good health the entire time I was raising my kids, and I felt like I'd missed out on a lot of things because I didn't feel up to it. And I didn't feel how strongly, didn't realize how strongly I felt until I was talking to a friend, and I said, "I feel like something was really stolen from me." And as soon as the words left my mouth, I knew I needed to repent because. Those are words that do not reflect an attitude as seeing everything as coming from the Lord. Those do not reflect trust in him as a wise, loving, and sovereign father. There's no humility or gentleness in those words. I felt like I deserved something and expected something. They did not reflect a heart that was moldable or controlled by the spirit. Instead, I could hear the beginnings of bitterness and resentment starting to set in, and I knew my thinking had to change. Now, I want to be clear, I didn't change my thinking because I came to suddenly understand why God had done what he had done in my life and why he had let it go so long before revealing it to me. I don't understand. And I can't point to something and say, wow, I can really see what that led to. I don't really expect to understand. But I've chosen by faith to believe that this has been for my good because I believe in who God is. I really do believe Romans 8:28 where it says that he works all things out for my good. I really do believe Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, where it says that his thoughts are greater than my thoughts and his ways are, are beyond my ways. He has wisdom far beyond what I can comprehend. So while I don't know why he allowed it, I do believe that he did indeed allow it, and I do believe that it will result in his glory and my own good in some way. So this really emphasizes that in order to respond in gentleness to any circumstance, what you believe about God matters a really great deal. If you do not believe that God has all wisdom, you may have a hard time accepting that some circumstances are about your own good. You might be tempted to say, maybe God doesn't know what he's doing in this particular circumstance. If you don't believe that God is completely loving, you may struggle with viewing some of your circumstances as maybe his punishment towards you for doing something wrong instead of the absolute best way for you to become like Christ. If you don't believe that God is sovereign, you may see your circumstances as being the result of Satan's doing or somebody else's choices. And it's really easy then for bitterness or resentment to start to take root. If you struggle with any of those characteristics of God, his love, goodness, or sovereignty I really strongly encourage you to find some time to study those things about God and and ask him to help you see what he's truly like. A great resource for doing that is the book Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. I think outside the Bible itself, that book has had the biggest impact on my life and has helped me learn how to respond with gentleness um, in, in bigger and better ways. Darcy, can you get me some water? Before we move on, I want to show you another place where we so clearly see the link between humility and gentleness. Look at James 1.21 there in your outline. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The word humility here is actually the same Greek word, praktes as the word Gentleness. Humility and gentleness are so interconnected that the Bible translators don't even know which word to use. You may have a footnote in your own Bible that says, or gentleness there for the word humility. So they tried to use both words by using a footnote because they couldn't choose. And in this verse, we don't so much see our response to our circumstances as we see our response to God's word. Think about that phrase, in humility or in gentleness, receive the word and plant it. And compare it to our picture of that gentle horse that we talked about at the beginning. Right? An attitude of humility and gentleness will have a huge impact on how we respond to God's word. It's as if God is holding the reins to our mind and our heart. And if we are gentle, we will accept what he shows us. We will accept the way that he's going to lead us in that. We will allow his word to take root and in our heart and change us. We will respond to his leading and his teaching and our hearts and minds will change as a result. We will start to see our circumstances differently and we will naturally act differently because of that. There are so many ways in which this can affect our day-to-day lives. I'm gonna give you a few examples from my recent past that demonstrate how I've discovered ways to respond in gentleness. It was terrible to be asked to teach on gentleness and then have (laughs) months and months of lessons. (laughs) My my husband and I went on a three-week camping trip, and I think that camping is actually a lot like parenting. (laughs) It it takes a lot of planning and work to make it happen. You get a lot of joy from doing it, and something unexpected always happens. (laughs) So here's a few situations I discovered on my trip where I had an opportunity to respond in gentleness, and, and I kind of generalized them. So first, we have the opportunity to be gentle, when someone brushes aside our concerns or disregards our feelings. Ty and I were preparing for our trip and we plugged in our trailer so the refrigerator cooled down and I could pack food. And it was really hot, so we turned on the air conditioner, but it kept breaking the circuit breaker and the electricity kept going out. So we turned off the air, got all set up. I'm packing it full of food and I, later that night I'm like, Ty, I'm really worried about that circuit breaker. I really don't want it to, uh, to turn off. And he really brushed me aside and said, If there's no problem, you shouldn't worry about it. Just let it go. So I did. And the next evening, I got home from the grocery store at the last of our supplies, and I went out, and the circuit breaker had tripped, and all of my food in the freezer was defrosting. And how was I going to respond to that with gentleness? The crazy thing is, I knew. I knew right in that moment, this is one of those opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) So not blowing up at my husband. Right? I really wanted to be angry. I had put a lot of thought and effort into cooking food ahead of time, packing it all up. It was going to be a three-week trip. I was kind of offended that Ty hadn't taken my concerns very seriously the night before. But a gentleness is the ability to take it. Right? Gentleness is an attitude that sees all circumstances as coming from the Lord's hand for my good. So I managed not to blow up in anger, but I did pout a little bit. <laughs> I was struggling, and I knew, I knew this was an outright opportunity to do just that. But it's a struggle, ladies. It's not something that comes automatically to us, right? I wanted Ty to recognize and admit that his dismissal of my concerns was wrong. I began, like I said, to pout. But we had a conversation about it, and we worked it out. But I really honestly wish I'd been able to respond even with more gentleness than I did in that situation we have the opportunity to be gentle when we're affected by the simple mistakes of others. We were traveling from the Oregon coast up to Olympic National Park in Washington. We stopped on the side of the road to have lunch in our trailer and when we were done, Ty turned on the water pump to use the bathroom and we went on our way and he forgot to turn the water pump back off. So of course the sink handle jiggled open during the trip and the faucet swung out over the counter instead of over the sink and we got to our campsite, and it was lightly raining, so we didn't realize at first that the water dripping out of our trailer was not from the rain, it was from the little flood that was happening on the inside. <laughs> it had poured over the counter onto the floor, and mostly into the cabinet where we kept our board games. Now it hadn't been on that long, so thankfully it wasn't as big a catastrophe as it could be, but most of the board game boxes were wet. And now we're dry camping in a rainforest. <laughs> and we have no way to dry out the game boxes. They're spread out all over the trailer, right? How can I respond with gentleness in that situation? It's a simple mistake, right? I could blame Ty for that mistake. You know, we know we're supposed to turn the water, water pump off. How come you didn't go through the checklist? You know, like we could, we could respond that way, but that's really not gentle. And that's really not taking it. And that's really not showing Christ to my husband if I did that. So I helped him clean up the mess without complaint. We lived with the mess for a few days while we tried desperately with like the floor heater to try and dry everything out. The situation was completely avoidable, but it happened. And it was an opportunity to love my husband and to be like Christ in the way I responded to it. That one I did much better than (laughs) the first one. We have the opportunity to be gentle when we're affected by circumstances completely beyond our control. We camped at Olympic National Park for a week. And on the third day, we headed to Hurricane Ridge, which is one of the prettiest parts of the park. It's the only part of the park that's in the mountains. We discovered signs of the visitor center that the road was closed a few miles up, so we stopped to ask about it. And we're told by the park ranger that there was suspicious activity. She thought maybe it might be open the next day, so we came back, but same signs. So how can we respond to that situation in gentleness? By treating the park ranger with kindness, first off, you could tell by the way that she told us that, you know, she was kind of expecting an explosive reaction, right? It's not her fault that there's suspicious activity up there. We could trust God that if he wanted us to see Hurricane Ridge on this trip, he would make it possible. And if not, he would help us find something else to do in order to have fun and spend our time. We later learned that just before we arrived, a local man got high on methamphetamine, started making all these claims that the rebellion would begin in the Olympic Peninsula, <laughs> went up to a campground, assaulted his girlfriend in the campground, and headed into the hills with two semi-automatic rifles and several other firearms. So they had to evacuate that entire part of the park, and we never got there. We, we were, we still are, disappointed. We didn't get to see it. We may or may never get the chance to go back, but we are not resentful that God didn't allow it we still had a great time visiting the area, and we had to be flexible and go in a different direction because that's what God had for us that week. So this isn't an exhaustive list of the ways that we have to be gentle, but the examples are recent, so it's easy for me to kind of explain the details and the thought processes behind it. But I also thought, as I prepared for today, about some of the situations I faced during the years that I was raising my kids when they were young and the ways that I had to respond to it. Had the opportunities I had to respond in gentleness. Now, I'm not saying I was always successful, but sometimes I was, sometimes I really struggled, but see if you can relate to some of these. I didn't get pregnant as quickly as I would like with my first child, and I had to wait those months, waiting to see if, if this was gonna be the month or if there was ever gonna be a month, right? Then I got pregnant more quickly than I wanted to with my second child thinking that it took longer the first time. It took exactly one month to get (laughs) pregnant the second time. (laughs) I suddenly had two kids 15 months apart. I enjoyed my job that I had before I had kids. I really didn't want to quit, but God showed me he really wanted me at home with my kids. And that was a choice I had to make in order to (coughs) respond to God's teaching. When my daughter was three, we discovered she was hearing impaired, moderately hearing impaired. Her pediatrician blamed me for not catching it earlier. I'm sorry to say I definitely failed to respond in gentleness on that occasion, but I really should have. Even though she was blaming me for something that was clearly not my fault, um, I should have responded with gentleness. We also discovered, at least at that time, that the deaf community did not consider those who only had moderate hearing loss to be deaf. We had no real support for raising a child with moderate hearing loss, and we had to figure most things out for ourselves. And that took a lot of trial and error, and prayer, and responding in gentleness to situations that were awkward with her. I had a very strong-willed child who tried my patience constantly and wore me out, and I felt tired all the time dealing with that kid. He's 27 now, and I still feel that way sometimes, (laughs) and and he would be the first to tell you that. (laughs) My husband was not a very strong spiritual leader when my kids were really young. In fact, when our kids were five and six, I discovered that he had struggled since the age of 12 with pornography. And we had quite a few years after that sorting things out and working through some really difficult marriage relationships. And that was an opportunity to, to hear what God was saying and to respond with forgiveness and grace to my husband and an opportunity to be gentle. Now, most of the things on this list are kind of bigger situations, but you also face situations every day during which you have the opportunity to respond with gentleness. Spilled juice, dirt tracked into the house, fights between the kids, a tired husband, canceled plans, sick kids, endless loads of laundry. When you cultivate a gentle heart, and remember that's an attitude of the mind and heart that's completely surrendered to God's will, You'll be able to respond to those kinds of situations with gentleness, without resentment or bitterness that this is happening in your day, without having to fight for your own rights. Losing your temper is often an indication that something's not going the way you want it to, maybe even the way you think you deserve it to go. Humility says, I deserved hell, but I got heaven instead. It says, I deserve condemnation, but instead I have been declared righteous. Humility does not seek selfish desires. It looks instead for what will please the Lord. So I hope by now you're getting the picture that gentleness is being responsive, right, to the Lord's leading in your life. When you're gentle, you're like that horse that responds to its master's commands. You don't resist what God brings your way. You don't resent your circumstances and think that you deserve better. It's no coincidence that gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. When we walk by the Spirit, which is another way of saying that our heart and mind are controlled by the Spirit, gentleness will be one of the fruit that's produced in our lives. We'll be able to respond without anger or selfishness when something doesn't go the way we want it. So this gives new meaning to scriptures that tell us to be gentle. Let's look at a few. They're there on your outline. 1 Timothy 6.11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. That's quite a list for gentleness to belong to, don't you think? It's put on the same level as righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance. And that's what I meant at the beginning by saying that gentleness is a fundamental core element of being a believer, it's one of these big things that affects everything. It should permeate all areas of our life, the way that faith and godliness do. It should change who we are and how we interact with others in every situation. Every day we have the opportunity to be gentle and to follow the Lord's leading for our life. Look next at Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now, the word gentleness verse is actually a different Greek word that means reasonable. But the word consideration here is our Greek word, parates. The verse literally says that we should show entire gentleness to entire persons. And that's how they've translated showing every consideration to all men. We're to be gentle to all men, right? Believers and unbelievers, friends and enemies, family and outsiders. God's in control of all of our interactions with others. And he wants us to respond with gentleness in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. 2 Timothy 2.25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Here God instructs us that our main attitude is to be one of gentleness when dealing with unbelievers who stand in opposition to the truth. Hostility and anger are not the means that God uses, and aren't we glad? God was gentle with us when he revealed our sin. He still is. He was gentle with us when he revealed our need for him. He's gentle with us now as he sanctifies us. And we're to be like him. In fact, I think we're most like him when we are gentle. Christ himself said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Even when there is outright sin involved, we're still to respond with a spirit of gentleness. Not looking for retaliation or revenge, not asserting our own interests, but instead looking out for the best interests of the fellow believer who needs to be restored. In fact, this passage warns us that we need to be extra careful to make sure we're following God's leading so that we won't be tempted ourselves. Now, let's look back at our main passage in Ephesians 4 again. We talked before about how walking in a manner worthy of the Lord starts with humility and gentleness, but I want to show you now what goes along with that. Patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace Paul is talking to the Ephesian church in this book, and his message is for our church today as well. We've learned this morning that gentleness is an attitude that's completely in submission to God's will. But we often make the the mistake of thinking that God's will for my life is God's will for your life, too. (laughs) It makes me think of John 21, where Jesus restores Peter to ministry, and he tells him what kind of death he's going to experience. And Peter turns and he sees John and he says, well, what about him? And Jesus responds in verse 22, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And I want to make that point. We follow Christ. We don't follow friends. We don't follow blogs. We don't follow Instagrammers. We don't follow particular Bible teachers. We follow Christ. And Christ does not have the same plan or the same set of circumstances for all of us. He has a unique plan for each one of us. Therefore, we should not expect everyone else to make the same decisions we do. We call this idea in theology preferences, and we distinguish preferences from principles. And this is point number four in your outline, gentleness, distinguishes preferences from principles. It was so kind of Chris Mueller who spent an entire Sunday teaching about it so that I could save my time for for other things. If you did not listen to his his sermon on uh, preferences and principles in August, you need to. How do we distinguish preferences from principles? First and foremost, we use God's word as the authority. If the scripture expressly commands something, then there should be no question of our obedience. What are some of those principles as they relate to your life as a mom of young children? Here's a few. We're to be submissive to our husbands. Ephesians 5.22 says, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. The family is God's design He created each family to be unique. He created your husband to be unique. What each family, what what somebody else's husband thinks really isn't as important as what your own husband thinks. If you come home from a play date and you've just spent all day listening to what other families are doing and what other husbands are thinking and you try to convince your husband to be just like them, you're not being obedient to this command. You need to be Submissive to your own husband. We are to discipline our children. Proverbs 29 15 tells us the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Allowing your child to get his own way on a regular basis is not a preference issue. It is a principle that comes straight out of God's Word. And it's not the only verse to tell us so. Proverbs 13:24 says, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So you're the authority in your child's life, and you should be diligent to discipline and train your child. We are not to provoke our children to anger. Twice in the New Testament, one of the only commands actually given to parents directly is not to provoke our children to anger. We are to use our spiritual gifts to serve the church, and that's even when we have children. Ephesians 4, 12, and 13 tells us we're being equipped for the work of service, but I want you to remember that every family is different In each family, there are different personalities, different jobs, different schedules, different numbers of kids with different levels of need, different talents, different spiritual gifts. No family is going to look exactly like another one in how they decide to serve serve the church. We're to treat others in a Christlike manner. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There they are again. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. This passage in Colossians is actually pretty similar to our passage in Ephesians 4, where we're told to have humility and gentleness, be patient and tolerant, and work hard to preserve our unity. So, having looked at a few principles, then, what would preferences look like? they're really anything that isn't addressed specifically in scripture. The world of parenting is full of such topics. I love how Marianne said that when she became a parent, there were so many more opportunities, right, for sin to come forth. Well, it feels the same way with preferences. When we're 18, 20 years old, we don't don't care what our friends are doing. They can do whatever we like, but suddenly we have kids, and we suddenly care that everybody else feels the same way we do, and it really shouldn't be that way. So here's Here's a few, a list of just some things that are preference issues from the toddler years. To be honest, in many ways, they haven't really changed all that much from when I was raising my own kids. Whether to give birth at home or in the hospital. (laughs) Whether to have a natural birth or get an epidural. Whether to breastfeed or bottle feed. Whether to use a pacifier or not. Whether to place your child on a schedule or not whether, when and how to introduce solid food, whether to get your children vaccinated. This was an issue long, long before there was a pandemic. (laughs) Whether or not to require a nap time, what to allow your children to watch or read, how you decide to celebrate holidays, whether to allow your children to go to other people's houses, whether to allow your children have sleepovers. It's an exhausting list and we haven't even gotten out the toddler years. (laughs) It's not gonna get any easier, ladies. School choice, participation in extracurricular activities and sports, friendships, dating, you have so many things awaiting you in your future. It's vitally important for the health of our relationships with one another that we learn to respond with gentleness to those who think differently than we do. Let me take you back one last time to my camping trip. Our son, Mark, was supposed to join us for the last week visiting my parents and enjoying the last few days of camping before we headed home. Three hours before Mark was supposed to leave for the airport, he called us. Someone who had chosen not to get vaccinated had spent a good part of the day before with Mark in an enclosed room, and he had just called Mark to tell him he had tested positive for COVID that morning. Now, you have to understand that both my husband and my dad have extremely compromised immune systems for cancer treatments. So we couldn't take the risk of having Mark come and expose either of them. We canceled the flight, and we canceled all the plans that we had made. And all this happened as Ty and I were driving the last few hours to my parents' house, so I had plenty of time to think about it, and I could feel the stew setting in. You know what I'm talking about, right? The the thought started, how could he have done this? He knows my son, he knows us, he knows our situation. And anyway, why didn't he just choose to? And on and on it went. What I really meant was, why didn't he see this the way I would see it? Why didn't he choose to do the things the way I would do them? Then none of this would happen. And I could feel that anger stirring in my heart. And suddenly I blurted out, surprised Ty, with everything I've been studying about gentleness, I cannot respond this way. And that was really the Holy Spirit who was prompting me. So I began to pray. And I asked the Lord, help me to see it with a godlier perspective and help me learn how to respond. To this situation with gentleness, and I began to see three things more clearly that I want to share with you. The first one is, the way I respond to any situation has much more to do with God than other people. God is still completely sovereign, even over other people's choices, even when those choices affect me. I was still profoundly disappointed that I wouldn't be able to spend that time with my son. I was disappointed for my parents. They hadn't seen a grandchild in two years. I was disappointed for my son, who had just had his third vacation canceled because of COVID. But anger is not an appropriate response. If I was to have an attitude of complete submission to God's will, then I had to trust him in this situation. He had reasons why he didn't want Mark to be there this time, and I had to trust him for that. I had to accept God's, God's choice for me. Number two, it's important to believe the best about people especially fellow believers in our own church family. It's important that we not try to guess the motivations that others have about the decisions that they make. We are all, for the most part, trying to please the Lord with the way we live. We all weigh the pros and cons and the different issues that pertain to our family, and we make the decision we think God wants us to make for our family. We should encourage one another to do just that instead of getting angry with others for choosing differently than we do. And number three, if I wanted to respond with gentleness in this situation, I was gonna have to learn to take it. Someone else's decisions had affected me, but that did not mean that God's will was thwarted in any way. God does whatever he pleases. He allows whatever he pleases. And I want you to listen again to the quote by Elizabeth George, She bears with tranquility the disturbances others create. She endures ill treatment. She withstands misunderstandings. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The list of preferences is endless, but the principles in these few verses apply to them all. Cultivate humility and gentleness. Be so surrendered to God's will that you can respond with patience and tolerance to those who choose differently than you do. And don't let those differences tear us apart. It requires diligence. Do you see that in Ephesians 4? It requires diligence to preserve our unity. But we are most like Christ when we respond in a gentle way.